Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. intentionally admit things we know nothing about. Hello again. This is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, November 7, 2019, broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. If you like what we're offering, consider a donation. Go to livinglies.me or livinglies.wordpress.com. sound like Rod Serling tonight from Twilight Zone. For those of you who remember that program, I guess we're talking 57 years ago. That kind of dates me. Consider the possibility that everything you think is true about your loan is not true. What would the real truth be? Can you test an alternate story by looking at real facts? The answer is yes, and you don't need to have the facts. You just need to assume an alternative to the narrative that is being pushed by the attorneys for the bank foreclosure mills. So... You start asking questions that every judge will allow you to ask, like the date of payment for the debt. If they're in court, they either have to have paid for the debt or they have to be representing somebody who did. And if they're representing somebody who did, then they have to say who who it is. So you can test that. Everything about their case is something you're allowed to test, and every judge will allow you to ask that question. And it's that process that starts educating the judge that there's something wrong in your case. If there's no date on which payment was made for the debt, then there's no payment. If there's no payment, there's no ownership. If there's no ownership, there's no right to collect. If there's no right to collect, there's no right to declare a default. If there's no right to declare a default, then there is no right to foreclose. That's simple logic. 
And I didn't make it up. The banks did. They're the ones who made that law. See, you don't need the facts because you're not alleging a claim. You're defending one. When you allege a claim, that's the burden of the lawyers for the foreclosure mill. Unless, unless you make a basic admission that lets them steam, steamroll you the rest of the way. You don't prove anything, but you can raise a negative inference, defeating their legal presumptions and force them to either give up or prove up their claim. In every case I have seen where that happened, given the choice, the bank lawyers walk away. They give up. Shining the light of reality on them makes them scatter. But right up until that point, they're making fun of you for defending, and they're calling you a deadbeat. If, or if you're the lawyer, they're calling you names because you're representing a deadbeat. You're not representing a deadbeat, and people who refuse to pay these these players who have no right to de to collect or declare a default or foreclose, they're not committing any violation of anything. If foreclosure, foreclosure mills and services were fabricating documents, forging signatures, having documents robo-signed, backdating documents, and if they were actually destroying the promissory notes and then filing lost note complaints, why would they do that? Now, that's a question that's often posed to me as if that question ends the discussion because the why would they do that really means they wouldn't do that. But they did. We all know they did. Ask that question, why would they do that? Not as the end of the inquiry, but rather as the beginning. But really ask, why would they do that? Eventually, you will process the truth. That the securitization of residential mortgage loans in practice was a scam. Or as some have described it, a Ponzi scheme. This process for me has been like one of those Where's Waldo paintings, where the longer you stare at it, the more you see. But at first, you think you understand the painting. It's a landscape or a portrait. So you don't need to look anymore, and you move on to the next painting in the museum. But if you do that, you're dancing past the truth, the real essence of the painting. But if you do that, you'll never know that you danced past that because you never saw the truth. But for those who stop and stare at the painting, they gradually come to see an entirely different world. That is, that's what I want you to do. Stop and stare and think and process. Stop feeling so ashamed and desperate. Get your head cool. Become level-headed and aim straight for their throats because they don't have the upper hand. You do, unless you give it up. 
start asking questions without relying upon anything that the bank lawyers say or the servicer said or anyone supposedly representing a trust said uh, or anyone for the foreclosure mill. Just ask questions. Don't stop until you truly understand what happened at every step. And when they don't answer, because they won't, when they don't answer, then you will start understanding what really happened. You'll start asking yourself why they're not answering and what might be true you will consider the possibility that there might be an alternative truth to what you think is going on with what you think is your simple loan. When you're done, you'll understand why the banks paid hundreds of billions of dollars in settlements, fines, etc., and why thousands of cases have been won by homeowners. When you're done, you will know that you can win, but more importantly, when you're done, you will understand that you should win. And you'll understand that failing to win only adds to the profit of players who don't care about your debt or the money that investors paid for false promises from stockbrokers posing as investment banks. The truth is that each foreclosure siphons more money from the U.S. economy. Each foreclosure is another deposit in an offshore account. The banks were the authors of both the individual documents and the process by which loans are made and loans are sold. Nobody imposed it on them. They created the process. They created the concepts. They created the actual documents. So why did they vary from that centuries-old pattern? They literally wrote the laws as contained in the Uniform Commercial Code, which were adopted in all U.S. jurisdictions. Why did they depart from such common-sense practices and lose documents only to recreate them? Why did they fabricate documents where none existed? Why did they fabricate documents that referred to transactions that didn't exist? It only makes sense if you assume that they were not really loaning money. That's a crazy notion, completely counterintuitive and straight out of the twilight zone. And they were never seeking to collect on a debt. Just as crazy, straight out of the twilight zone. It all does make sense when you assume that they would do anything for another dollar of revenue and profit. That's where it starts. Oh, yes, you thought and the world thinks that you received a loan. But the reality is that the stockbrokers, the investment banks, were just getting your signature, your financial reputation, your promise to pay, your house as collateral, as a necessary step in completing the sale of securities to multiple levels of investors without giving anything up. 
When they sold those securities, they got the money, but they gave up nothing. And without that process, they never would have funded your loan. They never would have funded the origination of your loan. They never would have funded the acquisition of your loan. just never would have happened. And none of these foreclosures would have happened. And prices wouldn't have gone up three, four hundred percent over the value of the property. Without the sale of those securities, you would never have seen the loan because the stockbroker would never have funded it, not from their own money. One of the frustrating things about reading reports prepared by people who call themselves forensic examiners is their habit of explaining the content of documents that are false. This reinforces the narrative of the lawyers for the foreclosure mill. If you assume that anything they're saying is true, you're dead in the water. If you're assuming that everything they say is false, now you're on the right path. The whether it's an expert or a lawyer or a homeowner, they're assuming facts about which they know nothing. And if you use that report in support of your defenses or allegations, it can result inadvertently in admissions, legal admissions, against your legal interests. So you may think you're making a point, but in reality, you're conceding the whole case, sealing your own doom. Such admissions by lawyers and pro se litigants are the main reason why foreclosure mills win. And those lawyers who consistently win the, these foreclosures know what I'm talking about. They treat the foreclosure case just like any other case. They're trial lawyers. Whatever the opposition is saying is not believed. It's subject to testing and confirmation. If the facts sought to be presumed exist, they should be subject to confirmation. If they can't be confirmed, then you should assume and ask the court to assume that those facts don't exist and therefore undercut their right to use legal presumptions. But at the start of it, you should presume that they're lying about everything. Whether they realize it or not, the lawyers, in most cases, are misrepresenting the facts. Homeowners and lawyers make such admissions against interest because they've not mastered the counterintuitive nature of the securitization process. It isn't about debt. It's about revenue. Even for the investors, it's about revenue. Specifically, the securitization of residential debt was in reality an exercise in converting assets of investors and borrowers to revenue of the stockbrokers. That sounds like an impossibility. Again, Twilight Zone. 
but that's what happened. And if you think about it and process that statement that the securitization of residential mortgage debt was in reality an exercise in converting assets to revenue, <coughs> the rest of it will fall into place because then you ask yourself the questions, well, what would they do having destroyed the debt and now having a revenue stream instead? <coughs> Pardon my cough. have a little bit of allergy problem here. Foreclosures are just another part of that process of revenue production. Foreclosure has nothing to do with paying off debt. That's a fact which is completely lost on borrowers, most of their attorneys, the courts, and even many people in foreclosure mills. The fact that it is lost on them doesn't make it any the less true. Once upon a time, stockbrokers or investment banks made a commission which was based on a transaction of real parties and interest, a buyer and a seller. They made a commission, which is either a fixed fee or a small percentage of the value of the trade that they had facilitated for their clients. So you had a stockbroker on one side, a stockbroker on the other, and the actual stock that was sold or bond, whatever it was, was the property of the client. What the stockbrokers, also called investment banks, have done is they changed that transaction so that once the buy order was received by the stockbroker, they took in the money but just gave a promise back to the client rather than giving them ownership of an actual asset. That's true. You can look Anywhere you want, you can ask anyone you want. You will never find a single expert in the securitization of debt or any investment banker that will contradict what I'm saying. Stockbrokers masqueraded as investment banking, as investment bankers, have turned the entire paradigm on its head, violating every concept of capitalism. They regard investors and borrowers as food for an insatiable appetite to control literally all the money in the world, and then some. Instead of getting a commission, they're getting the whole thing. But they not only get the whole thing, they sell it repeatedly until they can't sell it anymore, generating as much as 50 times the amount loaned or 30 times the amount invested. Incredible out of the twilight zone. Not believable. Just because it's not believable doesn't mean it's tr it's not true. Does any of those pornographic profits get back to investors? No. Do Does any of that get credited to borrowers who enabled the scheme just as much as investors did? No. It's all revenue, and it's all the revenue of the stockbrokers or the investment banks, as they're called, or as they call themselves. Every time you settle on a modification or any other settlement, you are enabling the stockbrokers 
to seal the doom of investors who supply the capital for nearly all residential loans. Now they have upended that paradigm by converting the client's investment entirely to the ownership of the stockbroker or investment bank, leaving the investors with empty promises and leaving the borrowers with non-existent lenders. Even if the original lender, which is a minority of the time, was in fact a lender, it becomes a non-lender shortly after the loan was originated. When it comes time to foreclose, some lawyer or company issues a declaration of default giving the impression that they represent the owner of the debt or that they represent someone who represents the owner of the debt. They don't. It's all a lie. Non-payment is not the same as a default. And that is the first place where the trial courts and the appellate courts and the lawyers all get it wrong. Lawyers don't take these cases because they think the loan is in default. It isn't. The fact that the homeowner did not make a payment does not create a default. A default occurs when money is not paid to a party entitled to receive it because the law says they gave consideration in exchange for the payment of that money. There's not a single entity in the whole chain in most foreclosures who gave consideration in exchange for the payment stream from the borrower. Not a single one. Someone who has nothing invested in the debt is not legally allowed to declare a default. It's black-letter doctrine and law that a transfer of a mortgage, for example, without a transfer of the debt is a legal nullity. It is void. And you can't get transfer a debt without a purchase and sale of it where somebody buys it and somebody sells it. You can't sell it if you don't own it. So the fact that you got a document that says you sold it, if you don't own it, the buyer doesn't get anything other than a claim against the party who said that they owned it. But if you look at the documents they're using, you'll never see a warranty from anyone that says we own this. Ordinary bank documents always require that warranty, frequently require an addition affidavits, and will frequently even confirm the ownership. Not in securitization, not in foreclosure, all the documents contain no warranties something that no bank will accept if you walk into them asking for a loan from them. Everyone starts with the premise that the default occurred because the homeowner stopped paying a party who had no right to correct, collect it in the first place. And here's the problem with that. As soon as you admit the default occurred, you're probably admitting the authenticity of the so-called original note you are definitely admitting failure to pay a party who's entitled to collect it, and your defenses that attack standing and technical deficiencies are going to be regarded as bullshit excuses for not paying a just debt. For various reasons, 
Homeowners and their lawyers feel compelled to admit the default when the party claiming it has suffered no loss and does not represent anyone who has suffered a loss. There is no default. But when you admit it, there is a default. And almost everything that happens afterward can be traced to admissions just like that. That's why homeowners lose. Everything else becomes an excuse. Everything else is some borrower trying to escape a just debt. Everything else is just gaming the system by the borrower. That misdirects the court attention from the game that the attorneys from the foreclosure mill are gaming the court with their own system. What if it isn't the borrower gaming the system? What if the borrower is a victim of a fraudulent scheme that is using the foreclosure process as a cover for a scheme that steals the loan and any hope of income from investors and steals the home from borrowers, all of which is taken as income by the players who are on stage as the foreclosing party, the servicer, the attorney, and so forth. The attorneys know they have no client that has a claim. But they go in anyway, and somehow the courts are construing that as covered by litigation privilege. I don't agree with that, but if you're going to sue the law firm that brought the action, you should know that your, your task is not just an uphill task. It's almost an impossible one the way it's now interpreted. So what if lending and foreclosures have just been a stage presentation to cover for fraud? What if payment of the debt was actually irrelevant to the real scheme? What would be true in that scenario? And people say to me somewhat incredulously because they really won't allow that what I'm saying might be true, they say, how do I prove that? And that's their way of saying, well, that sounds good, but you're just blowing smoke. They sneer at my answer. You don't have to prove it. The party asserting the claim must prove it. And if you admit no part of their supposed claim, they will need to prove every part of their supposed claim with real facts, real transactions, and real evidence if you submit and enforce discovery against them. They don't have real facts, real transactions, and real evidence. And that's how I win, and that's how lawyers across the country win. But first, you must allow for the possibility that there is an alternative universe in which everything your opposition says or has ever said about the loan is either untrue or not yet proven. You must accept the strategy that you're going to make them prove everything because it's not only possible, it's probable that they can prove nothing. The process of convincing the judge to allow uh, you to run down this path is easier than you think, because at each step of the way, it turns out you're right, unless you have already assumed their facts to be true or acted as if their facts were true when, the, in fact, the truth was in reverse. 
Next week, we're going to have Patrick Junta on, who just won another case. And we're going to analyze the case that he won. And he's going to explain how he won and his observations about why homeowners lose. And um, I think you'll find, I, I personally have uh, uh, litigated with Patrick Junta. He's from uh, uh, Pompano Beach. And um, I think you'll find the discussion next week to be especially interesting. So tune in next week, and we will uh, rejoin the conversation. Thanks for being with me tonight. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.